Welcome to the Green Edge Podcast with Michael Cross and me, Fraser Harper. This is our weekly roundup for the week ending 10th of March 2023. Michael passed me an interesting tweet the other day from the Canadian climate campaigner Mike Hedema. The tweet featured a World Economic Forum video featuring Hart Aerospace, a Swedish startup company which is developing a hybrid electric 30 passenger regional airliner called the ES30. Now the tweet got a little, shall we say, carried away with itself, claiming that the ES30 is fully electric, can travel 800 kilometers, and can recharge its batteries within 30 minutes. Mike concluded with, This is just the beginning. All very interesting. But what we found more interesting was some of the comments we saw underneath the tweet, which ranged from grumbles that a flight from the bottom to the top of Western Australia would require 10 recharging stops, to the damage being done to the environment and to people by lithium mining, to one that went straight for the jugular and said, you disingenuously forgot to add that the 800 kilometer range requires it to be using hydrocarbon fueled engines to power the motors and the passenger capacity has to be reduced to just 25 people. Well, we checked on the Hart website and we found that this last statement is true. Hart says that the ES30 is being designed for regional work, that's European style regions, not the Australian type, and will carry 30 people 200 kilometers in all electric mode or 400 kilometers in hybrid mode. And if you leave five people behind, it'll carry 25 people 800 kilometers with a hybrid running. But one reply we think went straight to the heart of the matter, if you'll pardon the pun. It said, halving carbon emissions for 25 people in an 800 kilometer trip in 2028 won't replace cheap mass air transport. We have to fly less. Well, the fact is that people are not flying less. And in our post this week, we point out that the number of commercial aircraft in the sky is predicted to double in the next 20 years. There's certainly friction between the Climate Change Committee and the government over efforts, or otherwise, to reduce demand. The CCC's progress report to Parliament in June 2022 stated that the government has proposed to strengthen carbon pricing in the aviation industry as a way of increasing the price of air travel and reducing demand. And the CCC goes on to say there is minimal detail in its strategy on how this would work. But a month later, in July 2022, the government's Jet Zero strategy said, Our aim is to preserve the ability for people to fly while supporting consumers to make sustainable aviation travel choices. We can achieve Jet Zero without the government needing to intervene directly to limit aviation growth. Well, it'll be interesting to read the CCC's response to that in this year's progress report. But staying with the Jet Zero strategy, one of the strategic objectives given by the government to influence consumers is that they should have access to environmental information at the time of booking a flight. And we found ourselves this week asking what form that information might take. Now, I'm recording this part of the podcast while sitting in Zurich Airport Transit Lounge waiting for my flight to Cape Town. Due to the rip-off prices being charged by British Airways for one of the few direct flights, I'm flying to Cape Town via Zurich, and my ticket tells me that for the Heathrow to Zurich leg I've just done, my carbon emissions were 193 kilograms, while for the next leg to Cape Town it will be 1067 kilograms. Now, I looked this up, and with a flight distance of 789 kilometres from London Heathrow to Zurich, and then 9,110 kilometres from Zurich to Cape Town, 
That means my carbon footprint for the European leg was 0.245 kilograms per kilometer, and it will be 0.117 kilograms per kilometer for the Africa leg. Total for the two legs, 1,260 kilograms. But compare this with the International Civil Aviation Organization's calculator. According to ICO, my flights today come in at a total of 638 kilograms, only half as much. And what's my point here? Well, I'm an interested party, and admittedly I'm a bit of a geek. So I'll take the time to dig into these numbers as best I can and try to understand them. But how many other people would do this? Furthermore, how many people will actually select who they fly with or what their route is based on vague and inconsistent information like this? All this in spite of the government's assertion in the Jet Zero strategy that two out of five people strongly or strongly agree that they would pay more for flight tickets to reduce the environmental and or the noise impact of flying. Now, I think I can confidently say the CAA would agree with me on this point. In 2021, it conducted consumer research that found consumers overstate their understanding of the environmental impact of flying, and, while people generally agree that flying is bad for the environment, there is limited understanding by individuals of their own personal impact. CAA's answer, for now at least, looks like it might be proposing green ratings for flights, a little like EPC codes for buildings. And it seems to us that the CAA may be on the right track here, at least as long as passenger numbers are going through the roof and net zero is on the horizon. But what would go into this green rating we can only guess at. CO2 emissions, certainly. But there are any number of other factors we could imagine being taken into account, such as the CO2 soot balance. Now that's a technical thing we're only just learning about and we'll report on in a later Green Edge post. Anyway, the CAA has issued a call for evidence which finishes in April and we'll look out for the report in due course. In the meantime, you can find our post on flying to net zero on greenedge.substack.com and you can also find this podcast on all the major streaming platforms including Apple, Google and Amazon. We talk a lot on The Green Edge about work that other people are doing, but we have news that we are actually going to be doing some work ourselves. Michael? As some of our listeners know, we we deal quite a bit on the LSIPs, which is the Local Skills Improvement Plans, and the Chambers of Commerce who are running those and won those awards. And we have recently been approached and been awarded a contract to support a local consortium in Cumbria to look at their clean energy sector and obviously in particular around jobs and skills and our role in that project is to draw upon the now very considerable database we have of documents reports and research insights and also raw data to allow them to put their work in the Cumbria area in the context of what's happening nationally and also to ensure they can learn from other pieces of work. Time to start working for a living then Michael. Now, something else to tell you about is a conversation we had recently with Samantha Beggs of REC. Now, REC is the Recruitment and Employment Confederation, and with its membership consisting of recruiting firms both big and small, it drives standards and is the voice of the recruitment industry in Britain. Samantha is REC's Campaigns and Government Relations Manager, 
and she told us about Rec's 2023 focus on green skills and green jobs. I am Samantha Beggs. I'm the Campaigns and Government Relations Manager at the Recruitment and Employment Confederation. We are the UK's largest professional body for the recruitment industry. And in 2023, our focus is looking at green skills and green jobs. One of the things that we found in our work last year, looking at labour and skill shortages, is the need for workforce planning and for a bit more joined up thinking between government, business and industry, and also education providers and training providers. And that's something as well that we're building on this year, thinking about the sort of future of work and what we can do on green skills, green jobs, and make sure that we don't fall behind on, on those shortages. Something that we're actually already hearing from our members, which we polled last year, is around the sort of lack of government support and business incentivization as well. Lots of our members really want to do more on this, but they don't know where to start. 65% of our members said they think a lack of government support is going to be the biggest barrier to green jobs in the UK. So that's definitely something that we're going to be looking into in a report this year and building on that. Michael, what else can you tell us about REC? It's an important body, an important body for one simple reason, particularly at local level, because they are the people who are what I would term my old-fashioned language, labour brokers, who are actually actively seeking to place people into employment, either on a full-time basis through direct recruitment or through some form of agency placement. And it gives them a great insight to how the labour market is working at local level. And it's their insights that could be harnessed by the LSIP process being run largely by Chambers of Commerce because they have a finger on that pulse because they're actually actively moving people in and out of work on a daily basis. And I think they have a critical role to play. Thank you for listening to this Green Edge podcast. This podcast series accompanies the Green Edge newsletter to which you can subscribe at greenedge.substack.com. The Green Edge is produced by Blue Mirror Insights.